Welcome to the podcast of Euless First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you worship with us in person. These messages come from our worship services Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11. We worship at 106 North Main Street in Euless, between Airport Freeway and Highway 10. May you feel the presence of God and may God bless you as you listen. Please pray with me. Great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight because you and you only God are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our super administrator, Sally, told me this past Tuesday that we get as many as 15 calls a day for food. Our mobile food pantry is this coming Tuesday afternoon from 4.30 to 6.30. We hope to start preparing maybe as early as 2 p.m. Because last month we served 130 cars, as many as 600 people. And it felt really good to be able to help that many people. But then the next day I learned that people farther back in the line were calling our church number to ask if we could go any faster. This month we plan to go faster by being better prepared. That's why we're starting earlier. That's also why we put it out there on Facebook. And several people who aren't even a part of our church have inquired about maybe coming to help us. Now, I didn't take those calls that first Tuesday night. Sally told me because she has the church's number forwarded to a phone at her house where she's sheltering in place and working from home and taking care of her son. I suspect some of the calls came with stories because that's not at all unusual. I want to believe every story I ever hear when somebody tells me about a need they have. On the other hand, I'm way more skeptical about calls that I get from people who tell me that they have something that they think I need. And even more, if somebody comes to my door to sell me something, it feels to me like they think I owe them a listen and I don't feel that way. But Rachel and the kids have convinced me to at least treat them kindly, to treat them with respect. So how do you decide who to believe when somebody tells you something. Do you have different standards for people that are trying to get you to give them something than for people who are trying to get you to buy something from them? And of course, the question goes the other way too. How do you get someone to believe you when you have a need or when you have something to offer? Maybe you have a routine, maybe you have a shtick. I don't know enough about sales, but I'm quite sure there are proven practices that help sell whatever it is you're trying to sell. Now, we're not actually selling Jesus because that price has already been paid, but we are, all of us who are following Jesus, trying to live our lives in ways that when we invite others to follow Jesus as well, they feel like listening. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if you aren't trying to help others follow Jesus, you're not really following Jesus yourself. Or maybe I'll say it the other way because this sounds more positive. Actually, following Jesus is helping others follow Jesus. It's as easy, really, as looking in a mirror. Who mirrors you? Who do you mirror? You mirror your parents. How do you mirror your parents? Think back to the ways your parents behaved, the ways they spoke, the phrases they used. And enjoy how you have learned to mirror them. If you have children, your children have mirrored you. And if you're anything like me, the easiest mirroring to see from your children is the negative. Why do my kids seem so impatient with each other? 
Why did they carry frustration from one part of life to another part of life and take things out on their siblings that don't belong there? Do I really have to ask? And of course, mirroring occurs in other ways too. I mean, I remember as a young boy playing boys club baseball, learning to try to bat exactly the way Pete Rose stood in his stance or Johnny Bench or Joe Morgan. Can you tell I was a Reds fan? I have mirrored some of my preaching patterns and styles and habits on preachers that I have seen and listened to preach and that I admire. So Peter's proclamation about David and about Jesus, especially the fact that David had died and remains dead, but that God has raised Jesus up, he concludes with, we are witnesses to that fact. We are witnesses to that fact. Are you a credible witness? This was a big, bold claim that Peter was making. And when you make big, bold claims, you have to be willing to back them up with the way you live. And this is not just a religious thing. It's true about every aspect of the way we live our lives. If we identify as, I don't know, a fan of a certain sports team, you remember when we had sports, right? But we never watch their games, we never buy their merch. Are we really a fan? If we say that people are important to us, but we never take time to listen to people, are people really important to us? If we say children are important, but we don't make time for children, do we really value children? If we say we believe, say, professional athletes are paid too much money, but we keep watching and we keep buying merch, in other words, we keep supporting the system, which pays them so much, if we say we want a good marriage, but refuse to give the time and attention and effort to take care of our spouse that a good marriage entails, are there things that you say you value that your life does not show you value? For a couple of years, I said I valued reading, but I wasn't reading very much. So I came home one night and at the dinner table, I invited my kids to check in with me every night at dinner by asking me if I had read for at least 20 minutes that afternoon. Now, it took a couple of weeks, but with this little step of accountability, it got me reading again. And I have to think that inviting my children to hold me accountable for something, that, increase, that, that increases my credibility with my children. And of all the people that I want to help follow Jesus better today than yesterday, my children are at the top of the list. Peter leveled some pretty damning accusations at the crowd that had gathered to listen to him. They were there from, for, in Jerusalem, from all over the known world, for the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is one of three major feasts for Jews, a pilgrimage feast. It celebrates the, re, the revelation of the five books of Torah that God gave to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. The Feast of Weeks is held seven weeks after Passover. So they were gathered for something else, but Peter got their attention. And Peter blamed them. You heard it. Well, he blamed them and the Roman Empire for killing Jesus. And now Peter wants them to listen to the good news that he has. The good news is that even though they had killed Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter wants this to make a difference for them. So it's quite a twist if you're going to accuse somebody of murder to also offer them good news for them. So what's next after Easter for us is this. You and I establishing the credibility in our lives 
to share with others that following Jesus is worthwhile. We are witnesses of this fact. Today's gospel reading helps us figure out how we are witnesses to this fact today. And that today means these days, almost 2,000 years after the actual event of Jesus' resurrection. Because our credibility is questioned. We are asked sometimes to answer for the many mean and hurtful and hateful and frankly unchristian things that are done in the name of Jesus all around the world. And this doesn't mean we have to explain the things that other people do. It doesn't mean we have to justify them. It doesn't mean we have to distance ourselves from them. It means that you and I have to, or we get to, establish our own credibility as people who are following Jesus as we help other people to follow Jesus the same way we do. So this story picks up right where the resurrection story left off. So it says later that day, that first day of the week, the disciples are all gathered behind closed doors because they were afraid. And Jesus appears to them and twice says, peace be with you. He wants to make sure that they are at peace with what God is doing in the world. And then he says, as the father sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. What incredible power and authority Jesus gave his disciples to offer forgiveness of sins to other people. Now, many of us have um, kind of blanched at this and we, we, we feel that we're not worthy to forgive other people's sins or we ask if somebody else thinks they're worthy, but Jesus gives his followers the authority to forgive other people's sins. I believe that this is a calling to the original disciples and to us to live lives that are credible to other people so that we can look them in the eye and offer them the forgiveness that God has actually already given them. So here's an assignment for you to practice with this. Sometime today, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to find a mirror, look in the mirror, make eye contact with yourself in the mirror and say these words. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Just say this to yourself. See if you don't feel that you receive those words differently than just a generic someone sharing that God has forgiven your sins. Look yourself in the eyes and tell yourself that your sins are forgiven. And so then it turns out Thomas one of the disciples wasn't in the room at the time. So he came back and they told him this story and he felt left out. He said he won't believe it unless he gets to see Jesus himself. And the story goes on. Eight days later, the disciples were again in a house gathered and Thomas was with them and Jesus appeared to them again. And Jesus had these words of encouragement for Thomas. He held his hand out as Thomas had requested he proved to Thomas that he was present, that he was really risen. And Thomas praised God. And Jesus said to him, you believe because you see me, happy are those who don't see and yet believe. The opportunity that so many of those folks, and this includes every one of us because none of us has seen the risen Christ in person, but we have believed because of the witness and testimony of someone else. And now 
we get to return the favor to others. So I want to invite you to think of one thing that you can tell someone else makes you a credible witness of Jesus' resurrection. One thing, just one thing. Write it down. Write it out. Maybe even tell someone that you know and love. And then I want to invite you to imagine yourself sitting in a car line waiting for a food pantry and calling the church to see if they can hurry, to see if they'll help you, and what story you can tell them that might make a difference in their hearing, one difference that Jesus has made in your life. Now, you'll get food no matter the value of your story, and no matter how long it takes, you will get food. But does your story seem credible as you listen to yourself? And now, imagine yourself going door to door, offering Christ to others. What could you tell someone else that might get them to want to listen to you? What evidence from your own life could you share with someone that is that would make them think that following Jesus is worthwhile? And now finally, as you go forth into this week, another week of sheltering in place, another week of social distancing, another week of learning to wear a mask whenever we're out in public, another week of limiting your contact with the outside world, another week of regular bombardment of news about the pandemic and about economic collapse. Breathe deeply and think of the difference that following Jesus has made in your life and let it show. Amen.